Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement, your source for news and commentary from a cultural and right of center perspective. African American Conservatives. Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. I'm your host, Marie Strotter. And as you know, over the last several months, uh, we've told you that DK and I and my husband, the founders of ACONS, uh, have had a chat thread where we talk about all things comics. We're all big comic aficionados. Uh, and so uh, we have had a chat about all kinds of things. We DK spams me with, you know, the top 10 covers of this or that or whatever. And then all of a sudden, bam, 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 there's like 70 messages on my phone. Uh, so, you know, we are big comic geeks here at African-American Conservatives, even though we talk about political things, which you can find at Substack. I'm sorry, which you can find at acons.substack.com. So we hope you'll go there. You'll find all of our social media stuff, find the uh, links to this podcast, as well as YouTube, all of the places where we are. But anyway, we're big comic book aficionados. So in December, we had Eric July, if you'll remember, and that was awesome. Uh, and then we had Mike Barron. We also had Chuck Dixon. And now, we have the other half of that great duo, Chuck Dixon, and we have Graham Nolan. Graham Nolan is a longtime comic book artist and writer who is known for his work on Batman, uh, The Phantom, the and creator-owned projects such as Joe Frankenstein, The Chinoo, uh, Alien Alamo, and his recent graphic novel, uh, The Ghost of the Matacumbe Key. So it is my pleasure Without further ado, to introduce you to Graham Nolan. Welcome uh, to the show. Thank you, Marie. That was very kind. And you pronounced Matacumba Key properly. Very oh, well I'm done. so glad. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people stumble on that one. <laughs> uh, the viral Twitter hashtag comics broke me. Uh, which features tweets from comic book professionals complaining about being overworked and underpaid reminds us of a tweet of yours that stated there were four stages uh, to a career in comics. Who is Gra Graham Nolan? Uh, Graham Nolan. Get me Graham Nolan. Get me a Graham Nolan. And who's Graham Nolan? That's right. <laughs> uh, with all of that in mind, what advice do you have for new comic book creators? Uh, create and own your own stuff. Uh, don't bother trying to get into the, the big two. Who knows how long they're going to be around. Uh, the rates are low. Um, there's no royalties because the sales are down. Um, so it, it's a lot of heartache and a lot of headache. So if you have the talent, uh, learn more than just uh, the creative aspect. You have to be a businessman as well. You have to understand the marketplace and you have to understand the business of comics. Um, that's very important. Too many people come in with artistic dreams and, you know, they want rainbows and unicorns and uh, uh, they don't put the effort in to understand um, what the business is like and what the, what the uh, market is like. Now, 
this is a tweet that we found from one of our favorite comic book professionals. It reads, quote, comics are like jazz, a uniquely American art form. The <laughs> enjoyment from the immersion into their worlds is unlike any other form of storytelling media because it requires the readers to participate in the story. Whether you like tangible or digital format, pass down your love of comics to the next generation, end quote. That's brilliant. Who wrote that? <laughs> the smart guy, huh? <laughs> How did the love of this uniquely American art form get passed on to you? Well, uh, you know, I think like a lot of people, I discovered it um, tangently. Uh, my first, you know, uh, of course, I was exposed to like the superheroes and stuff uh, via other media. Uh, the Adventures of Superman TV show, the Adam West Batman TV show, the Spider-Man cartoon from the 60s. Yeah. Um, all those things um, uh, introduced me to these um, characters before I actually got my hands on comic books. I was a monster kid, so I used to read monster magazines before I discovered comics as well. And then in the sixth grade, my teacher brought in a stack of comics for the kids to read. Uh, during recess or after tests, that type of thing. And uh, amongst them was a Justice League comic. And it had some of those characters that I knew from other media. And I was just thrilled um, reading this four color action adventure stories, you know, with these characters and stuff. And, and so that was uh, the beginning of my journey uh, as a lifelong comic book fan and um, uh, my pursuit into um, becoming a professional. That's so cool. Now, what are some of the things uh, that you've had in your portfolio uh, when you were trying to break into comics? And did any of it involve Superman dancing? <laughs> Somebody did her homework. Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, uh, I had done a two-page story for uh, my sequential art class at the Kubert School, and it, it involves Superman getting exposed to red kryptonite and for anybody who doesn't know red kryptonite doesn't kill superman but it makes him do crazy things you know it's like this uh, uh plot macguffin that they used to use and so uh superman gets exposed to this red kryptonite and he sees these uh these uh like gangbangers uh ripping off somebody and uh, and all of a sudden the red kryptonite takes over and um uh, he's forced to dance whenever he hears music. And so, so, uh, he starts doing this break dance. Cause again, this is like 1983, 84 when break dancing was a big thing. And so Superman's, you know, getting down and doing his break dancing. And then he, he still manages to capture the bad guys by you know, like doing this flip up and then smashing his foot down and causing like an earthquake thing to knock him on the rear ends. <laughs> Silly stuff, but you know. And, and I took those pages in because the the teacher was an editor at DC Comics. He was Sal Mandola, who also taught at the School of Visual Arts. And he um, he really liked the way I drew Superman. So he takes me into Julie Schwartz's office and, he, and you know, I didn't know he was going to do this. So he sits me down in front of Julie Schwartz and says, hey, Julie, you know, this is my student, uh, Graham Nolan. He does a really good Superman. And then he walks out. And, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm sitting here in front of Julie Schwartz and he's doing busy work on his table, shuffling papers. And he finally looks up at me and goes, what makes you think you can draw Superman better than Kurt Swan? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow. Hamana, hamana, hamana. I can't. <laughs> now, 
let's take a look at Joe Frankenstein. We've got a clip here. Pretty cool. <laughs> so those of us who remember uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein remember the brutal creature that could kill without remorse and the doctor who created, feared, and ultimately uh, hated him. Therefore, it's surprising to find a story uh, about the monster acting as sort of a guardian angel to the heir of the Frankenstein name. Mm -hmm. Why is the creature protecting the Frankenstein family? Well... Uh, I'm a Catholic. I was born and raised a Catholic. So, um, uh, there's a certain amount of, uh, guilt and penance that goes along with that. <laughs> and, uh, I wanted to explore that a little bit with the monster. Um, and so, you know, we set him up as this, um, kind of guardian, uh, of the Frankenstein lineage as penance for the crimes that he committed. Uh, so, you know, he killed Victor Frankenstein, he killed the grandfather and he killed many other people. Um, but then he, you know, he, he, he ends up at this monastery and this priest, Father Michael, uh, who actually who's blind, who can't see him, uh, sees something else in him and uh, teaches him the ways of, of goodness and, and, and God and penance and, and uh, forgiveness and all that kind of stuff. So so he's been watching over the lineage for for many, many um, decades, well, hundreds of years, actually, a couple hundred years. Um so I thought that was kind of a neat take to to put on him, since everybody does know the monster as 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 a monster. Wow, that's pretty cool. One of the great talents that you've worked with, uh, especially in the early part of your career, is Dennis O'Neill. Can you tell us about him and your relationship with him? Well, Denny was the senior Batman editor uh, at DC Comics uh, during the years that I was there. Uh, I, he handled the Batman title. Um, so the day-to-day -day interactions I had with Denny, um, weren't a lot because I had to, I dealt with the, uh, Scott Peterson and Darren Vincenzo who were editing the detective comics books. Um, but you know, we would get together at, at, um, bat conferences and stuff. So, you know, I got to, uh, um, work with Denny, uh, during those, those, those meetings. There was a time not too long ago when most comic book fans would not have been familiar with Graham Nolan, Mark Wade, 
Marv Wolfman uh, and others. Many fans knew of and cared about characters like Bane and Man Bat, uh, but not as many cared about writers like Chuck Dixon. Now, because of Image Comics and the in the 90s and social media today, uh, creators are sometimes more famous than their creations. Uh, Ethan Van Shriver uh, seems to have more fans than Cyberfrog, for instance. <laughs> Is uh, this era of superstar creator a good thing for comics, in your opinion? I, I don't know that I subscribe to that um, theory. Um, uh, in the the current publishing paradigm of of, of crowdfunding and stuff, uh, one of the imperatives is to get your word out and, and to get because um, your name doesn't carry the day. It just won't. I mean, Chuck and I tried to crowdfund Joe Frankenstein on the backs of our careers um, back in 2014 or so, uh, and it just died. It was it was just died on the vine. Um, there's a whole lot more to crowdfunding uh, than just, you know, a good product in your name. And, and part of it is is getting your face out there, getting your personality out there. And uh, I believe that, you know, especially YouTube is, is, is the greatest one because the algorithms just kill you on the others of social media outlets. Uh, but if, if, if you get out there, you know, and you do these shows uh, and you have your own channel, uh, and you get people to fall in love with you, they'll fall in love with your product. They'll, or they, at least, at the very least, they'll give it a chance. And uh, I, I think that's what's happening here is that, um, yeah, you might have, you know, tens of thousands of followers or something like that. But um, it doesn't always work that way as far as like not every one of them is going to to back you. So you need to build that list, that email list, that following list and stuff like that because there is an attrition you know, there's a percentage of those that will actually buy stuff. Um, so I, I think that's really more of what's in play. And comic books creator, comic book creators have such a presence on YouTube. I mean, all of the channels that we've seen that we follow uh, have massive followings. Uh, and you guys seem to have some fun, too. Oh, yeah. I, I, I love getting out um, and, and, and uh, streaming and you know, there's people that come up to me at conventions and they, you know, they say, hi, I'm uh, such and such, but it's their, it's their streaming yeah, channel yeah. name. Yeah. You know? uh, and I'm like, oh, that's you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like they'll introduce themselves. I'm Dave, you know, oh, hi, Dave. Nice to meet you. But I'm really blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, then you finally put a face to the, to the avatar. Now, speaking of superstar creators, we interviewed Eric July recently, as I mentioned in the intro, mm -hmm. uh, but we couldn't fully promote the interview on Reddit because anyone who even mentions him or ISOM or uh, on certain subreddits, uh, will, it'll get you banned. We've posted a link to our Chuck Dixon interview there and uh, some of the comments I won't repeat, uh, but is this typical of the sort of uh vitriol that right-leaning comic book creators are subjected to uh absolutely regularly? oh yeah ab absolutely um there's this uh, this hard left uh, uh freakazoid <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh uh uh, a group of nuts that uh, just can't understand how somebody could think differently than them you know 
uh, conservatives pretty much just just want to do their own thing, you know. But the left, they want they want to bury you. Uh, and that started off with blacklisting at Marvel and DC. Um, Chuck experienced it. I eventually yeah. experienced it as well. Um, just because of what we did in the voters booth, you know, neither Chuck or I are ideologues in, in that we put uh, that kind of stuff into our work. We worked with Denny O'Neill. You know, Denny couldn't be any further left than us. Uh, and yet we all had one goal in mind, produce great comics, produce great stories, you know, produce great entertainment, uh, not to do uh, these pandering uh, ideological um, uh, pieces of crap that nobody's buying. You know, um, the, the ones with the loud, loudest mouths, the ones that try to shoot us down the most are probably the most least successful <laughs> in the business. <laughs> Well, I want to touch on that because sometimes characters drift away from how their uh, creators and original fans envision them. Some get race swapped, some get retconned. Um, a serial killer, uh, one got retconned as a serial killer because too many cops are wearing his logo. Uh, right. One began as a beloved psychotic girlfriend of the Joker. She's my favorite character, by the way. Um, only become uh, the hot mess that she is today. They've really messed her up. Um, in a video on this topic, you mentioned that this drift also happened to Bane. How did this happen and why? Well, it, the how and why are the same. Uh, we have no input. <laughs> uh, Bane is owned by DC Comics. We have yeah. an equity agreement so that if they use Bane for things, they have to pay us, which is great. But uh, they never ask us our input on any of it. Um, when they used Bane in, in the Batman movie, the recent Batman, Dark Knight Rises, um, uh, they didn't ask us anything about that. So, you know, they hand this stuff off to these writers that uh, don't really understand the character. They're not really bringing anything new to him. Uh, there's always a backbreaking scene. Uh, it, it's <laughs> like, dude, we, that's done. Okay, we did that. You know, why don't you go back to Vengeance of Bane or Nightfall and see what this character is really all about because there's a lot of depth to him. Um, and I've said this before in other shows that the most interesting thing to me about Bane is how he thinks of himself. He, he views himself as a victim and the world owes him. So, you know, he justifies the things he does because the world owes him. He was an innocent born into servitude in a prison because of the crimes his father committed. Nothing he did. Um, so, uh, I think that's a very, very cool aspect of who he is. Now, you are almost as known for your partnership with Chuck Dixon as you are for your partnership with Pumpkin. <laughs> what do you find to be the keys to a successful writer-artist relationship? Uh, well, the key is, is, is being on the same page. Uh, as far as storytelling goes, uh, Chuck and I clicked, you know, from the first time we worked together on uh, Skywolf for Eclipse Comics back in 1986, I believe it was. Um, and uh, so that's a really important thing that when, when you know, the writer writes the story, uh, it's his story. When it becomes the art, when it gets to the artist, it becomes the artist's story. Uh, and it's up to you to tell it the best way, most exciting way. And as Chuck likes to say, you know, make me look like a genius. 
you know, so <laughs> uh, if you change things, they have to be for the better, you know, uh, they have to, to ramp it up, if you will. Uh, and it, having that kind of relationship with a writer that understands that and an artist that understands that, uh, I think is key to producing great comics uh, is, as a team. Your most recent project is The Ghost of the Matacumbe Key. So mm -hmm. let's check out a preview. Okay. Grab the popcorn. <laughs> I'm starting to sweat from the humidity in that commercial. <laughs> <laughs> you can feel it. Oh, I know. I'm in Texas right now. It's triple degrees. So, <laughs> uh, so what can you tell us about this project, Graham? Well, uh, when I first uh, started uh, Compass Comics, you know, I wanted to avoid superheroes. I wanted to explore different genres. Uh, that are underserved. And as I said earlier, I was a monster kid. So I decided I was going to focus on horror, supernatural, science fiction, all that kind of stuff. And as I started going along with my stories, I found out and figured out a way to tie them all together uh, to at least show that they all exist in the same world. And The Ghost of Matacumba Key is the book that's going to do that. And this one is a, a supernatural ghost story that takes place in, in the Florida Keys. That's where Matacumba Key is. It's, it's one of the uh, middle, middle islands in, in that uh, archipelago. And uh, in 1935, the most powerful um, uh, hurricane to ever hit the United States landed there on Labor Day. And that's a key aspect into um, uh, the ghosts that are appearing in the modern day because it takes place today, not in 1935. But, um, and then we have our two characters, Misty Fahrenheit and uh, Mike Meathead Rutowski, uh, who are um, private investigators. Uh, and uh, Misty has a connection uh, to the afterlife. And so the ghosts appear to her and uh, seek her help. And so it's a mystery story too. There's a a crime that happened back in 1935 during the hurricane. And there's a crime committed today in 2023 that exposes it. And that's the mystery that our, our two um, heroes have to discover and hopefully put the, the ghost souls to rest. Mm, mm. Now take us through how you created such a unique look for Bane. 
Uh, well, you know, after Chuck and I compared notes about who Bane was and where he was growing up, uh, and we had to have a costume for it because DC wanted to trademark him, uh, I looked to Mexican luchador uh, as a, as a uh, inspiration for him. I figured if Bane was, you know, caught anything on TV, it might be from that because he grew up in, in either a Central American or South American little banana island, banana Republic island. Um, so that was the starting point for me as, as far as his look was the wrestling luchador, um, singlet, uh, and the mask, uh, the original one was actually a true luchador mask with the eyes, nose and mouth exposed. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so that was, that was the, the starting point. Now, as a comic historian, you will probably agree that being a Batman fan without an appreciation for characters like the Shadow and the Green Hornet is like being a Rolling Stones fan without being a fan of Muddy Waters and Chuck Berry. Shouldn't there, shouldn't these classic pulp heroes have more of a role in today's comic book media? Uh yeah, it's 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 hard to say. Uh, you know, it's all how they're presented. You know, um, for some reason, you know, uh, the Shadow, Doc Savage, uh, the Avenger, all, all those, the Green Hornet, the Lone Ranger. You know, they they seem uh, stuck in their time periods. Um, I love them all. You know, uh, even Tarzan. You know, yeah. uh, Conan. For some reason, Conan still resonates with modern audiences, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I I don't know what it is. Um, maybe because he is sort of an anti-hero, um, and modern audiences like that versus say Tarzan, who is just as brutal, if not more so than, um, than Conan, if you, if you've ever read Burroughs books, uh, but he uh, had a nobility to him, you know, much more heroic in, in his, 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 his nobility. Um, and I don't know, it's, it seems like people find that kind of stuff old fashioned, you know, um, Captain America, Superman, they see, you know, people think of them as old fashioned because of their values. Um, But I thought Marvel did a really great job of in the movies, at the very least, of showing Captain America um, is why he is so cool because of those values. Absolutely right. And by the way, my husband's favorite character is Conan. So, (laughs) yeah. Now, um, as both a movie buff and a fan of superheroes, what is your all-time favorite superhero movie? Uh, whew, that's a hard one. Um, I guess off the top of my head, uh, the modern superhero movies, I really like Captain America, um, Winter Soldier. Yeah. I really yeah. like that one. That elevator scene, uh, I could watch a million times. Yeah. I, just, I love that. That is a good one. Yeah. Uh, now, before we let you go, we're going to bring in DK. And uh, we're going to ask you, uh, what can we expect next from the Nolan universe? Uh, well, uh, we're, we're closing Joe Frankenstein Part 2 uh, this Friday. Uh, and if you haven't ordered it yet... Um, do so if you miss it or you miss the first one, it's okay. It's going to be up on the Compass Comics website uh, once all the backers are fulfilled because um, backers come first and they get their books first. Um, after that, 
uh, I'll be finishing up Gosa Matakumba Key. Uh, and then after that, I will be printing uh, Return to Monster Island. Uh, I'm debating on how to bundle that with, with the original Monster Island. I want all of that stuff under the Compass Comics banner. And then I'll begin work. Well, Chuck and I will begin working on uh, Joe Frankenstein Part 3. And also, uh, I'll be working on my uh, third installment uh, in my Monster Island trilogy, which it will be Escape from Monster Island. So, a lot on my plate. <laughs> hey, before you go, I wanted to show you a couple of things. This is uh, my very first Bane action figure. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Got it after the movie, which, you know, which not one of our favorite Batman superhero movies, yeah. but... So but I think that, I think that's the first time they did uh, a Bane action figure based upon the design, you know, um, the, the the original comic design uh, or how he appeared in the comic. Because the first one was actually the animated series version. And uh, that's the first time that I really liked that one a lot. Yeah, I, I missed the whole point about the luchador. It seems obvious now that you mention it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I remember professional wrestling in the 70s, you know, Bill Miscaris and all those guys, and they always had the mask on. And I know it's a big thing in South Florida border, but yeah. now that um, now that you was, you said it, it, it just clicked immediately. <laughs> and of course, for Graham Nolan, I also wore my Bane t-shirt. Oh, very nice. Very nice. This, this is like my a... Bane t-shirt. This is, this is the one that impresses the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need to man. get one. <laughs> And uh, and I also have this, my uh, Batman figure, which has nothing to do with anything, but I just wanted to show it off ah, because I like it so much. That looks like a Todd McFarlane version. <laughs> this is Todd McFarlane Batman, exactly. Yeah. Um, wanted to get your uh, remembrances for um, your reaction to the sad news we received yesterday, and then. Um, it was. I'll bring it up on screen. I'll bring this picture up on screen. It was. Um, we were talking about legends like Dennis O'Neill, and then yesterday we learned that another legend, yeah, John Romita Jr. passed on. Yeah, I just showed oh, John Romita Senior. 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 Sorry. Yeah, John Romita Senior. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was. Um, I, I think I think he's still best known for the work he did on Spider-Man. But you look at his list of uh, character creations. You know, Wolverine, of course, everyone knows. Uh, the Punisher, who has been in the news a lot the last two weeks, he was one of the creators of Punisher. Um, Luke the Cage, the Kingpin. All right, go ahead. The Kingpin. The Kingpin. Mm -hmm. uh, Luke Cage, another one of my favorites. Uh, he was a co-creator of Luke Cage. Mm -hmm. He also co-created Brother Voodoo, which is a very underrated character. Mm. <laughs> I always like Brother Voodoo. I think they call him Dr. Voodoo now. I'm not sure, but I'm a, that, I'm a that, fan. That sounds PC enough to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think Brother Voodoo is... You can't call him a brother now. <laughs> he went to so, school, he got his PhD. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so do... Um, did you know uh, John Romita Sr. at all, or did you have any, uh, were you influenced by him? Or? Well, hugely influenced by him. In fact, um, he was the first artist whose work I immediately recognized. Uh, I could spot John Romita's work, and uh, he was one of my earliest and biggest influences 
uh, as an artist. His style is, uh, I, I can't, I, I can't give him enough credit. And um, interesting enough, uh, I, I got to meet him in 1995 or 1997 or sometime when I was at San Diego Comic Con. And I was at the DC booth and I was signing stuff and Chuck Dixon came up and he said, hey, John Romita just just sat down at his table. And I said, oh, I, I got to go. I got to go. I put my pencils down and said, everybody in line, I'll be back. You know, so I went over and I stood in line to meet the man. And Chuck was with me. And, uh, you know, I, I put my hand out and I just introduced myself, said, Mr. Romita, my name is Graham Nolan. You know, I'm, uh, I can't thank you enough for your inspiration and everything. And he looks at me and he goes, are you Graham Nolan, the artist? And I'm like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah. He said, I really liked uh, that Batman Spider-Man book you did, wow. uh, which I had done like the year before or uh, the previous winter, something like that. And uh, the interesting thing was, is that when I got that assignment, I approached my editor, Scott Peterson. I said, Scott, I, what I, the way I want to do this book is I want to draw the, the Batman characters in my style, but I want to draw the Spider-Man characters in a Romita style. Mm. And uh, that's what I did. And to have Ramita compliment it, you know, it's like I, I said to her, I can retire now. <laughs> That's cool. So uh, I, you know, I, I came around his table. I sat with him and then Chuck took a picture of us together. And I, I just cherish that. That's Excellent. very cool. So how can our listeners follow your work and find you online? Uh, well, the easiest is uh, compasscomics.com. Uh, and uh, I'm on facebook and twitter and if you just type in graham nolan on youtube uh you can find my channel and uh, i do uh various shows uh throughout the week uh the one that i focus on on myself is called the storytellers and that's where i showcase artists living and who have passed uh to showcase their work and uh i'm actually doing a special episode today uh on john ramita so awesome you know you have a reputation of not only being like one of the nicest guys in comics and one of the most talented ones, you're also considered the most fit guy in comics. So <laughs> I know you have a series of videos on your channel. I thought you might want to pass on to people like me a little <laughs> and others who don't quite have the, the guns. Right. You have, so. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, I, I did a, a series of things um, uh, called uh, desk jockey fitness. For people that sit at desks all day, you know, to get them up and get them moving and try and, um, you know, motivate them to, you know, just do something, get out, you know, get your body in motion. Cause sitting is one of the worst things you can do. Uh, your, your, your hip flexors stiffen up, your joints stiffen up, you start to get arthritis. Um, and, uh, that ain't good. So, you know, I, I encourage everybody to find something that they love to do that's physical and do it. You know, if you like dancing, you know, uh, you know, the ladies, you know, instead of, you know, doing aerobics class, you know, put on, you know, dance videos and stuff and just dance for an hour. That, that'll burn off some calories, let me tell you. And you'll have fun doing it, you know. So just find the, the thing that you like to do, you know. Uh, if, if you like to lift weights and get in there, uh, I highly recommend weightlifting versus cardio uh, for weight loss. You know, it, it's much more effective and it'll really change the shape of your body as well. That's good advice. Well, if you're just joining us, our guest for this segment has been Graham Nolan. 
He is just an amazing comic book artist. So we were very thankful to have you on the show today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I, I had a great time both uh, with you, Marie, and you, DK. So, so thank you so much. Thank you. Hope to have you back. Okay. All right. So DK and I are going to talk about some stuff. What do you got for us today, DK? Oh, well, you know, it might might have made the news uh, a little, but, you know, President Trump has been indicted on. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you have to read it like, it's not on page one, it's like on page <laughs> 50, but just, be, just between the classified and the sports, but uh, it kind of made the papers. And I want to get your uh, your quick reaction to that. Well, I'll give you my quick reaction to that. It's bogus. I do not understand how this man has been impeached. Not once. Not. I mean, they were going for a third time to try to impeach him. Uh, his house was raided. Uh, and this whole, all of these reports and dossiers and all of this stuff that's been bunk. I mean, not a shred of evidence for years and years and years and years. And look. Has anyone said anything about the classified documents? Not found once or twice, but several times uh, by Joe uh, on Joe Biden's uh, properties, whether it was an office or his garage or whatever. Um, Hunter Biden's laptop, all of these reports that are ready to come out where these people are ready to come out and say, hey, I'm a witness to this bribery stuff. None of that. But yet we've still got time. They really must be afraid of this man. They really must be afraid of this man. Um, one of the greatest presidents, I think, that this country has ever seen in terms of policy positions. I, I, I don't, as I've said, I don't like the name calling. I don't like the belittling. You know, he's got a very bombastic personality, which I'm sure has served him well for being a businessman. But this is ridiculous. This this really does rise to the level of witch hunt. And I don't I'm not one of those people that that likes to use that kind of language because I think it's hyperbolic. But I think in this case, we are really seeing something like that. What do you think? You know, it's ironic that um, that when Trump first became president, one of the things that a lot of his supporters wanted him to do was to arrest Hillary Clinton yeah, lock her up. because of her obvious email uh -huh. crimes, uh, you know. 33,000 emails about yoga yeah. and a wedding. And people wanted to see the emails, so she smashed the Blackberries, yeah. used bleach bit to wipe the servers and mm -hmm. made jokes about it. And even uh, Comey, the FBI director at the time, admitted that she was a uh, security risk, that she was careless with yeah. classified documents, which... Yep. As a secretary of state, she doesn't have the authority to declassify like Trump does. And so that was the chant during all those early Trump rallies, lock, lock her, her up. up, lock her up. Mm -hmm. And then when he became president, they sat, sat down with him. They convinced him that it would be a political prosecution to go after a political opponent in such a way. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. And, a president should not go after a political opponent. Yeah. And yet here we are. They decided it wouldn't, wouldn't be worth it to see the leading Democrat at the time being dragged out of her house and put in handcuffs and, and put on trial or even in jail. And here we are, 2023, the same courtesy does not seem to extend to uh, a Republican president. And what makes it so strange is that as the, the laws concerning uh, presidential taking documents are so vague that even... Even 
lawyers and legal authorities seem to be unclear, but there seems to be a consensus that a president can de declassify anything he wants. You know, he the stories of George Bush just waving his hand over a document said, kaboom, it's declassified. <laughs> you know, there's no procedure you have to go through. You don't have to get the, you don't have to get the, a sign off from three cabinet members, the Senate majority leader, the House speaker. You don't need the vice president's consent. Um, there's no, there's no form to submit. You just decide that it's declassified and you take it. So my novel legal theory is that anything a, a president possesses is therefore declassified. Now the National Archives can demand it back, but I, I'm understanding that a president can decide to not return it to the National Archives, at least a at least for a few years, it's, uh, it's a complicated legal thing, but it seems as though Trump was within his rights not to just return the documents as soon as the National Archives asked him back. You know, that's supposed to be the big crime of Trump versus what Biden did, because Biden supposedly, once the documents were discovered, he, he gave them up right away. And they say, well, Biden did that, so he's okay, but Trump tried to hold on to documents so he should be in prison and, you and know, yet barack obama still has papers so if he still has papers after what seven eight years yeah i heard someone said he stored them next to a mcdonald's in chicago and something like that <laughs> i haven't I haven't ver verified that myself but i did hear yeah. someone say that you go to mcdonald's and get a happy meal toy and a declassified document <laughs> exactly so um so it's really it's really a struggle to see what crime has been committed by trump here i mean the there's no rules against him taking home the, the documents they're declassified by virtue of him taking them home. Um, there's no evidence that he allowed a, you know, a foreign power to see them or, or anyone to see them. They were in a secure facility, you know, Mar-a-Lago. There's no rules regarding that. You know, they have to be in a certain kind of vault surrounded by security and, you know, whatever. There's no rules regarding that. So he doesn't, see, doesn't seem to have broken any laws there. He didn't return them right away, but this doesn't seem any obligation for him to do so. Uh, Alan Dershowitz has been on TV a lot lately. Yeah. He's, he's been saying, you know, a defendant is not obligated to cooperate with a prosecution against them. You know, you allowed to take the fifth, for example. You, it's not criminal obstruction. This is obstruction. You're allowed to defend yourself by not producing evidence for people who are trying to put you in jail and, and so forth. So... So it's a real struggle to see what's how they can prosecute him uh, out beyond political uh, ostracization. You know, that's good. I'm trying to ostracize him politically is what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to prevent him from being president, and I don't know if that's going to work. Are you still watching the the video while you're you're talking to me? No, that's thunder. Thunder no, and lightning. Really? Yeah, thunder lightning in New Jersey. I'm thinking that we're listening to the video again. I'm thinking, okay, I, I realize I'm a scintillating conversationalist, but you're watching Joe Frankenstein again. 
I'm telling the truth. Don't uh, don't yeah. be don't be uh, alarmed by the, the lightning coming <laughs> coming at me. You know, I'm not being punished for lying. I'm actually <laughs> that's that that lightning is completely unrelated to what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for another episode of African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. Please go to acons.substack.com. Find our commentary, links to this podcast, as well as all of our social media profiles. I'm DK. And I'm Marie, signing off from Studio C. See you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. You can find us online at acons.substack.com anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S and also you can support our work at anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S forward slash support.